Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. In marketing, attribution is always top of mind. But what about revenue attribution? How many of us have struggled to map attribution to revenue across the end-to-end funnel to really understand the impact of the various touch points across the buyer and customer journey? Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Stefan Heidenbrandt, the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Dream Data, shares his expertise and insights around what revenue attribution is, why it's important, and how to best approach it. So if you've ever struggled with mapping the key data points across the customer journey, you won't want to miss this episode. So super excited today to be here with Stefan, the Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder at Dream Data. Dream Data is the B2B revenue attribution platform that enables marketing and sales to gain unprecedented insights into every touch point across the customer journey. So welcome so much and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to finally do this with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Rosalind. Doesn't that sound like a nice product? <laughs> it sounds awesome. And and Stefan, you're going to need to help me pronounce your last name. I want the Danish version and the English American version. <laughs> okay, so in Danish, it would be Stefan Hildebrandt, which uh, in Danish, you have like this soft uh, pronunciation oh, okay. of a D, but in English, we just say Hildebrandt. Hildebrandt. Okay, perfect. <laughs> thank you. So let's start maybe talking a little bit about your journey before Dream Data, right? Yes. Um, you've had such a just a long career. I saw in a variety of roles in leadership across sales, marketing, and even operations. So maybe can you share more about your backstory and you know mm. sort of your career journey? Yeah, it's kind of you know, there's never been a real <laughs> plan for, for 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 starters. But I've always like when I was studying, I felt like how do you can become kind of a serial entrepreneur, somebody who's starting a company and then moves on yeah. and starts another company? And what I did was, if I do like a little bit chronologically, I started working for a guy who made a lot of money before the, the dot-com yeah. bubble as his PA. And he wanted to start a fund where he would invest in SaaS companies and platforms. And I did that for a year and then went into working in one of those those platforms, which was a vintage music instrument marketplace, you could say. So we were trying to get all those shops to list their products online. And we actually did really, really well in terms of getting traffic up on the website. But what we really failed at was oh. making revenue, making money. <laughs> 
so that that's kind of you know i think all the things where you fail at in the past you like sometimes they come back and haunt you oh why didn't we succeed that <laughs> succeed with that but i think you know we were a bit too early in the market to, to mm. succeed with that and then i as i was there i read the four hour mm. work week book by tim and timothy ferris and in there he recommends that hey, why don't you just outsource all the work that you don't <laughs> like to do? <laughs> so uh, I started using uh, Elance, uh, which it was called back then, to to test it out on different kind of small jobs and see how it worked. And uh, like six, 12 months later, I had like a global organization running, doing small wow. different stuff for me. And then as Elance was entering Europe, they asked me if I wanted to come join that team to kind of you know help market their platform mm-hmm. in, in Europe. And moving on from there, I went on to Airtain, which is a screen sharing device we sold to, to schools mm-hmm. and businesses. And that, that's where you can say my real interest for, you can say, marketing that makes an impact, you know, call it attribution or customer journeys or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Trying to understand the cause and effect of we do these things in marketing, what comes out on the other side. That's where that really sparked my interest. Because we went through this growth journey where we were like below 20 employees to around 100 when I left and spent it zero. I was the first marketer there. So we spent zero money on ads in the first month. And then when I was leaving there, we were spending around $100,000 every month. And then you get into this. The first 10000 you spend, you have quite a good idea about what's coming out of yeah. my investment. You know, more people from Iceland. Okay, we run, run ads in Iceland. That makes sense. <laughs> But the last ten twenty thousand you put in there, you, yeah. If you put a gun to my head, I'm not sure I could explain what what no. becomes of this. And that's not a good situation to be in because you're spending a lot of money and you're you know you're trying to grow the company. And the most effective way, at least from marketing, to grow a company is to contribute as much as you can to producing more sales opportunities and produce more mm-hmm. revenue. And I was doing, which in hindsight looks stupid, but I was doing things like I was judging the ad spend as I made the ad spend, like current mm-hmm. month, even though I, would, I knew the customer journey would be like yeah. six months or 12 months, or 18 months or whatever it takes. But it was all I had available because Facebook, LinkedIn, what's the last one, Twitter, all, all of the Google, <laughs> all of these platforms are wired to a B2C world or even worse, they're just wired to understand one device, click yeah. this, and then maybe you got an email. And that gives you no insight into whether is this good or a bad business for mm-hmm. a B2B. So that frustration was what left me with my interest for start, or for in an interest in the problem, you can say. And then I got introduced to my now two co-founders who were leading the product at a company called Trustpilot, mm-hmm. which is a one of the biggest review platforms in the world for, for consumer products. And they had that kind of feeling because they were part of the, the board meetings and stuff like that, that sales got applauded every time <laughs> they sold. And they knew that the platform itself was signing up, you know, 5,000 new accounts to the website every month. But that value was set yeah. at zero. And then, you know, if you're stubborn and intelligent, you start thinking about, okay, let's look at what hap- where does these accounts come from? How long does it take before a sales opportunity is created on these accounts? Are there anything that predicts churn, better closing, higher revenue, mm-hmm. et cetera? 
and the core technology that we built back then is still kind of what we're like the basic idea that we're running the dream data mm -hmm. on today which is basically to establish a go-to-market data platform for a b2b company which means let's take all the data that touches accounts in any way anywhere extract that and load that into mm -hmm. a data warehouse and then run algorithms to clean it up. So you're left with, you know, a chronological timeline of every account that you deal with. So that was a long yeah. story <laughs> about my background and what I'm, I'm yeah, doing nowadays. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think that's a great way to, you know, kind of frame up sort of how you landed where you landed. And I love that story about the, you know, how sales <laughs> yeah. always gets all the applause and the celebrations, but, you know, sometimes you forget all the yeah. work that had to happen, you know, from everybody across the teams, but especially from a marketing perspective. So you yeah. talked about this a little bit, you know, about how you and your co-founders, you know, started the company, you talked a little bit about kind of that marketing and getting all that data into a certain place like was there you know mm. was there a particular like some type of specific problem more so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that about you know maybe that problem that you were trying to solve and sort of that kind of that aha moment people always have when they decide oh we're going to start a yeah. company together you know what was that you know how did that <laughs> how did dream data kind of get born i guess or the idea for for me it was uh, we had like coincidentally at my last company we've been using segment mm -hmm. so we had actually been storing historical yeah. data so as i got introduced to my two co-founders we we allowed them access into you know our database and our and they ran their very ugly prototype completely like wrapped <laughs> with it false and everything <laughs> on our data and what I suddenly could see was that the ad spend I made over here mm. actually yielded more revenue than I expected. And what surprised me even more was that I was able to see these content pieces that we have on our website. How long does it take for those to you know, yield a sales qualified lead or an opportunity? And how much revenue do you actually produce from these content? Because going into that year, I, I, I got a headcount of, I think, four or five people to do content. So two writers, a videographer and a designer, and actually a manager for the whole team. And, you know, what the only thing you have, if you don't have like a proper, like, let's call it attribution setup or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, is that you can go into Google Analytics and you can see organic traffic is mm -hmm. going up. <laughs> And then, you know, <laughs> great. You, you can't pay much salary with organic yeah. <laughs> traffic uh, going up inside of Google Analytics. And what they could actually prove to me was that these journeys that started through these articles coming through organically actually were oh. part of really valuable deals. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I know this is a true pain for B2B marketers because the journey is along. There's a lot of people yeah. involved. Data is stuck in all sorts of different silos. So, I mean, like if we could, you know, raise a bit of money, build a proper product around this, I knew the problem is a really real yeah. problem. And there would be a lot of other people just in my situation trying to, to solve this yeah. as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, we talk about attribution a lot and it's so, it's such a, I think it's just becoming increasingly 
challenging, right? And really difficult to understand sort of what's happening. You mentioned sort of across the end-to-end funnel, how attribution gets aligned to revenue, Mm. right? Because it's it's much more than just marketing effort, right? Because there's touch points across the entire customer journey. But it's so hard, right? I think it's just so hard sometimes to follow Mm. that journey. So I guess maybe we can take a step back and say, you know, what does revenue sort of attribution mean to you? And how do you think revenue leaders should really be thinking about this? Good question, Rosalind. So so first of all, let me just state that we're not trying to invent something magical. I I love that cup that is floating (laughs) around LinkedIn once in a while. We're literally just trying to take all the data that your company is sitting on. Let's extract that from all the silos that it's sitting within and let's build an account-based timeline out of it. And what we when what we refer to as attribution here is really this, you know, this journey started with Stefan coming from this company, then a week later Rosalind joined the demo call and then our two bosses came in and then signed a contract. Mm-hmm. And all those things has left that digital trace behind. So we're trying to, you know, we're never ever gonna get close to telling you a hundred percent about what's really impacting this yeah. deal. But it's about going from you know, having a five to ten percent overview of what's going on to, let's say we can get to fifty percent or something in that range. That means that when we make decisions upon what to do more of and do less of, is significantly more qualified. We're not saying that this is a hundred percent the truth, but we're saying this is all the data that you actually have available and which you should be using to to make decisions. And that's what we call attribution. The reason for me why that is interesting is kind of the easiest way to be successful is you know to identify stuff in your go-to-market that you're very sure works, and then do more of it. And then, you know, in terms of just pure ad spend, so insane amounts of money are being wasted because the ad platforms have no way of telling you, you know, how much revenue is coming out of this six months later. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking at a click that sits on one singular device. And if they're lucky, you've sent, you know, a gold back to the ad platform. Mm-hmm. But there might be five people involved. There might be 190 days involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's salespeople, uh, there's, you know, customer success, etc. So we are very deliberately talking about revenue attribution in our mm-hmm. company, which means any touch that touches an account, because we don't think that you can, you know, do a, like a six figure or seven figure B2B deal with a click on a yeah. Facebook ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But we're just trying to connect the dots that you do have available. And there's always stuff that is significant either in a positive or, or a negative sense. Got it, got it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, when you, I guess maybe when it comes to this type of attribution, like, you know, I know obviously you work with the different organizations. Like, what are you seeing, I guess, organizations doing right around this, kind of mapping these touch points? And what do you see them doing wrong? Yeah, so let's let's start with the, the, the yeah. negative <laughs> or the wrong one. I think in general, the problem about B2B attribution is grossly underestimated. Mm. Because people think that, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, can tell them what's going on, but they can't. Google Analytics can't. Even the CRM system, mm-hmm. you know, original source is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. When we have a demo call booked in our company, it takes an average of four sessions on the website. So if it's four sessions, then the first one is typically some kind of marketing-related activity, mm-hmm. organic paid referral. 
that the next time might be an organic visit somebody typed in dream data mm -hmm. in google and then the last two visits would be direct direct and then a conversion to a demo call Got it. if you look in the original source it's capturing the session in which the uh, the demo call is booked mm -hmm. and it's nice that the demo call is booked but you're completely left blind in terms of what led to that demo call mm -hmm. so if you don't know that then either you're you know severely wasting money because you have no clue how it connects or you're growing your company a lot slower than what you would, what you actually could be doing. So that's kind of, I think that's the, what a lot of people is underestimating. And I think we're doing our best to educate and you'll, if you start following me on LinkedIn, you'll see I'm almost every day <laughs> raving, uh, raving about this. <laughs> what we see our best customers do is actually when you get that data infrastructure in place, you can completely outgrow your your competition. And that's everything from, you know, your automated outbound where you can test continuously test messaging, mm -hmm. which of this messaging actually ends up going to opportunity and to sold, mm -hmm. which of this messaging never reaches this way. So you just tag your mails up nicely with UTMs and then you know how, how far it flows through. Mm -hmm. You could be investing three, four, five times as much in your marketing campaigns, or you can shift 50% of the budget over to other stuff, or you can just save those money. And, you know, a company can only use its money once. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's not marketing you want to put them into. Maybe it's actually customer success or a solution engineer or salesperson. Mm -hmm. So we are just trying to help you be as efficient about your go-to-market as you can. I love that. I love that. And then, yeah, for anything, don't forget to add common sense and gut feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I've made so many mistakes trusting data too much in my life. So be sure to double check with your colleagues. And I'm seeing this. Is this is this too good to be true? Yeah, it probably <laughs> probably is. So so never forget your experience and gut feeling while like while looking at data. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. I love that. I think that's really important because I'm you can't just look at the data, right? It's always kind of a blend of data and insights and then that experience. Yeah. So let's talk about having that level of insight. So when you have that level of insight into the customer journey. I mean, there's just so many benefits, right? You're unlocking so many things from optimizing yeah. spend, like you were talking about, you get better conversion rates, hopefully you're shortening deal cycles and ultimately you're, you know, you're accelerating yeah. growth, but you're also improving that customer. So from your perspective, what are some of the other benefits or some of the benefits that, you know, having this revenue attribution visibility, what does that provide? Mm. So obviously I'm in a, you know, I'm mainly talking positive about this and I really believe in it because mm -hmm. I can see how our good customers benefit from it. We just, in, before the summer, released some benchmarks based out of all our customers and the average B2B customer journey turns out to be 192 days from the first touch until a deal is won. And within that scope, it's actually the identified phase the sales phase is only half of that journey. So, you know, typically when you ask a salesperson, how long is your customer journey? What they're basically replying you is a lead came in on this day and I won the account <laughs> yeah. six amount later. <laughs> but we can see that a real journey is actually twice or longer that uh, of that time. And if you don't understand that mechanic, then, you know, if you want to produce predictable revenue, you're you know, you're way behind the, the demand you need to generate to salespeople to actually hit the budget next quarter. 
or like when you're running all your growth and marketing experiments, you risk stopping stuff way too early because you haven't actually seen that the sales cycle has ended or you've actually given it too much time. So let's quit this experiment and let's save, save the rest of the farm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, maybe, maybe can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of how, what dream data does and sort of how dream data, I guess, is helping businesses realize some of those benefits much sooner. Yeah. So like in the, the engine room of our, you know, algorithms is this B2B go-to-market data platform. So we extract all the data that you have available in all your tools, typically your CRM, marketing automation, CS, outreach, website, ad platforms, etc. Get all of that out into the data warehouse. And then we build this account-based timeline. And we offer this then to our customers where instead of them having your ops person or a data scientist, data engineers to do that work, we've done it for them. And then we've built an application on top of this that contains the most commonly used for, for marketers and B2B go-to-market. And in here, it's kind of, you know, it's completely no code. So anybody can just click around. And we may, we, we, it, right now we have four things that we offer from this. There's revenue analytics, which is all your RevOps numbers about how you make money, how long does it take, which segments, countries, industry, etc. And then there's the micro perspective, with, which is the account level. Here you can look at what are people doing in any system anywhere. So like typically your Rosalind might be in a sales meeting, but she might also be talking to CS <laughs> and also clicking some emails. We've resoluted all those activities into one person. So you can see what are you doing? What are your colleagues doing from this account and so forth? Mm. And our salespeople use this information all the time. So they can see if the account makes any movement anywhere. Mm -hmm. They can see what it is, when did they do it, et cetera. So they know what to reach out with. But we also know that kind of who are the lurking accounts, what do you want to do more or less of, et cetera. And then the last two buckets is, is you know, content specific and, and paid specific. So all your activities there. The more techy of our customers actually use this information then with, to, together with reverse ETL tools. Mm -hmm. So they use this information about uh, like typically an offline conversion. Somebody actually reached sales qualified lead at this stage. So let's push that click ID back into Google. So instead of you optimizing towards the click an ad and land it on your website, you're actually optimizing your clicks based on what went far down your pipeline. Uh, so there's a multitude of analysis you can do. It's kind of, it could be what's your best email? <laughs> what moves people from MQL to SQL, et cetera? What are the most significant things that takes place there? Again, I'm not medically saying that anything is completely true, but we're trying to bring as much information about the customer journey up to our customers and then mm -hmm. help them with some easy analysis on top of it. In the future, we have aspirations to do a lot of automation. So you just with a click can send data other places. But for now, that's what we do. That's awesome. I, I think there's a huge blind spot there. I mean, just in my own my own experience working with different go-to-market organizations, it's a huge blind spot. Like to your point, when by the time the sales rep is actually engaged with a prospect, so much activity has already happened, but a lot of that is blind. We know the yeah. clicking, we know if they filled out a form, attended an event, downloaded yeah. a white paper or whatever, but the the other aspects of it, it's just not, one, we either have no visibility or to your point earlier, it's in this, these different silos where it's very hard to, 
align what happened, you know, early on to the actual, you know, sales engagement yeah. and the actual conversion to revenue. Tying that together is extremely yeah. powerful. Yeah. And also extremely complicated if you yeah. don't have some really <laughs> expensive data scientists to, to help you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So we talked a lot about data and you talked a little bit about sort of some of the data points kind of in the different areas that you're focused in on. Um, do you have any tips for maybe, you know, for organizations that, you know, have sort of this, all the siloed data, right? They're sitting in all these different systems. Mm -hmm. They don't have great visibility, yeah. right? Are there any tips that yeah. you have that maybe you think you've seen have worked well that people can go do today, like to at least get started in the right direction? Aside from, you know, obviously they should definitely invest in some technology, I think, to yeah, help yeah. with that. I think the dream data, we you know what you're doing is very powerful, mm. but are there things that maybe they yeah. should be doing today just to get their data even ready for something like this? Yeah, exactly. I think the, the, the first point would be just kind of, you need to wire your organization to, to leave as many digital traces as you can, because yeah. when you want to do the analysis, it's too late to start. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot to actually do first party tracking and store that or stuff like that. So yeah. Go through your go-to-market and look like if your salespeople are just, you know, the, the cowboys just with their own phones, <laughs> get them to click call from within HubSpot or AirCall or something like that. So it leaves yeah. a trace. On this day, we actually called this account and it was this person. The same for CS. If it had, takes place in your Gmail inbox, move it into a customer success software, etc. So so go through your go-to-market and think about do they these tools leave digital traces? That would be my first advice. And then what you actually need to do is then to, to, you know, you need to get all of this data into the same bucket so you can start to make sense of it in a, in a way where you compare it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah, it depends on who you are, you know. <laughs> if you're a data scientist, there's a certain amount of advices. And if you're a marketer, there's others. Um, and I think if you're not technical, I think it, the best thing you can, you know, simply start out with is, you know, come up with a narrative of why are we doing these things? And, you know, how does that lead to revenue? Mm -hmm. And go test that out against other people in your organization. Mm -hmm. And once you start doing your things, think about ways to prove that what you're saying is true with, with data. Mm -hmm. You know, and you, if you cannot connect it all the way through to a sales pipeline, then maybe you can track devil calls, which often is a good proxy for revenue, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad uh, no, advice. No, that's great. <laughs> I think that's great. No, I think that's really great advice because that is stuff that, you know, you don't, you don't really think about. And I think a lot of times people think that, oh, I need to analyze the data. And then they go find out that they don't have the data <laughs> to analyze, mm. right? Or they don't have the yeah. right data. They haven't been capturing, right, all of those yeah. data, data points. Yeah. And maybe I should just revisit, like, the platforms you use today are not account-based. <laughs> They're not yeah. intended for B2B. So whatever you look at in LinkedIn, Google, Facebook, Google Analytics, they're looking at devices. They're not looking mm -hmm. at an account or even just a person and all the devices you <laughs> you own. So actually that leads me like, got my brain running again, <laughs> but all this CDP, customer data platform technology, I think, you know, it will be complete standard for any company to run stuff like this five years from now, because you mm -hmm. need to keep a logbook of what is every customer doing or every mm -hmm. person doing at all times. And yeah, because the ad platforms are not going to help and you have all this intelligent tracking prevention that Apple is enforcing, which is just going to make <laughs> life worse for the ad platforms. 
But a CDP is a different thing because it's a technology you use to analyze what's taking place on my website. Mm-hmm. And at my best bet, that is not what Apple is trying to punish. Yeah. They're not against you understanding what people read on your website. They're against the ad platforms retargeting people for 180 days and sharing <laughs> the data with other providers and so forth. Yeah. So this kind of move into first-party data with everything you can, store it in a bucket so it at least is there when, when, you, when you need it. When you're ready. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's super helpful. You know, as I think about the revenue engine, I think about this podcast, I'm always hoping that others will learn, obviously, how to accelerate revenue growth and yeah. power, you know, the revenue engine. Maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top, like, two or three things that you think, hey, all, all revenue leaders should really be thinking about today that are going to have the biggest impact on driving and accelerating revenue? So if we, let's count this kind of rise of first-party data as number one, Mm -hmm. because people need to kind of not rely on third-party sources that, you know, can just take their data away. Yep. What else? Actually, I think that what what, what was a game changer for our company was really like taking it seriously to define an ideal customer profile. Gosh, your music to my ears, music to my, I was literally just having this conversation with somebody yesterday about how can you be selling if you don't even have your ICP defined? Oh my gosh. And and not even selling. I I really think that it should be like a guiding strategy for your whole company. And since we did that one or two years back now, everything has become so much easier. Like Mm -hmm. if you sit down and write our ideal customers are these people. They work mm-hmm. in this type of company and these are the roles that they're in. Then all the decisions from marketing to sales to customer success to product become so much easier. Like, yes. Where should, where should we do marketing? Well, it, it, it's these people. So let's find places where they are. And it's, you know, you have your salespeople. You should not be s- s- trying to sell to somebody who looks like an antithesis to our ideal customer profile. So That's stop right. that. You're not allowed to work on those things. And because, you know, if they succeeded with that sale, then they bring in a customer to see us that is like, here's a bad fit customer. Try to make them happy. <laughs> they, they will churn. So CS will waste their time on stuff that is just not set up to work. And you know, go all the way through then to, to product as well. Mm-hmm. What technology features, etc., are you building? You should be doing stuff that, like you know, stacks on top of each other, instead of just building here and there for depending on whatever customer request comes in. So, like, if you haven't done it already, you have to decide upon who's our ideal customer profile, and everybody in the company needs to understand who it is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh gosh, 100%. I literally, like I said, was having this conversation with somebody yesterday and I was like, I can't believe you don't have your ICP defined because all of those other things are dependent, right, upon that, at least to be efficient. Is there Mm. anything that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe that you might do differently, like if you could do things all over again? I think one one of the best things I've learned about marketing and growth is to like scale insanely aggressively when you find something that you know works because you know marketers cannot shut up and we talk about <laughs> talk to each other all the time go to conference and post it on LinkedIn etc so there's always like a honeymoon period of all sorts of tactics and then it you know it works like a marketplace so when too many knows it the price goes up the platform shuts it down etc 
So mm. be super, when, when you find stuff that works, and when I say work, there's a very close correlation with the activity and revenue. <laughs> yeah. When you find these things, you know, you have to like double or triple or quadruple mm. the investment because they will stop. People will figure it out. Your competitors will figure it out. The economy goes up and then everybody's buying Facebook ads, etc. Well, thank you so much for joining me. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask <laughs> two things. <laughs> so one, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing you want everyone to know about you? Yeah, it's okay. So like given the kind of, given what I, I do today, I'm actually I'm very driven by gut feeling and actually not that much by by data, I always need data to, you know, you know, be the foundation for, yeah. But mm -hmm. I'm heavily God feeling based. Does this make sense intuitively? Yes. Then let's yeah. go ahead and do it. And like, you know, running a revenue attribution platform that might uh, <laughs> contradict a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then maybe, uh, um, you know, I'm not, you know, what I wish people would, would know is that I, I really keep an open mind about most topics. So, you know, there's, you know, comps you do on LinkedIn to make it crisp and, you know, travel far. Yeah. <laughs> but I really rounded, you know, respect all sorts of opinion kind of guy when, you know, you speak on a on a day-to-day -day level. But, and I think that that's, you know, you know, gets a bit too blurred out sometimes on, you know, the social media that you have to be radically in, in some direction, but, you know, most people you can have a beer with and have a decent conversation without <laughs> like yeah. firmly just believing in one thing. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for sharing just so many incredible insights. I think you've shared a lot of really great advice and a lot of great things for people to really think about, I think, around when they're driving the revenue engine and especially from a marketing perspective and from a revenue attribution perspective, as well as from a data perspective. We touch so many different yeah. things. So really, really appreciate your time. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Yeah, I've been following you for a long while. So it's a, it's a bit of an oh, thank honor. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.